Part seven. Oh, no. Part nine. Man, we've come a long way. Finishing up a series today on, uh, well, I shouldn't say even finishing up a series because the pursuit of knowing Christ is a never-ending, uh, lifelong pursuit, and it's an eternally uh, lifelong pursuit as well. He is just that incredible, that amazing. Um, I want to take a quick moment to thank the young lions who were preaching the last couple of weeks, Zach Brown and Andrew Haig. Uh, if you missed it, you can find them online. I was like, man, as I watch these guys, they're, they, they can choose any scripture they want, and they just go for the jugular, right? Like I'm like, man, man the future of the church looks bright uh, with preachers like them up and coming up the ranks. We're like, we're, we're going to be courageous, and we'll speak truth no matter what. And thank you, uh, brother, for that. Uh, and uh, this morning, we want to look at his words. If you have your Bibles, grab it. I'd encourage you to take some notes as well. There's uh, note pages or should be in front of you there. If you need a pen, just dig deep in the pocket. You might find something else too. I can't promise anything, but just so, so important to jot down the things that uh, he speaks to your heart, uh, and you'll remember so much more as a result. But our, our heart and our hope is to, to truly know the Lord, to help people find Christ, find community, but to know God for who he really is. And uh, this morning, we know Jesus came to reveal that. We know his word reveals that. And so we're going to take a look at John chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can start uh, go, you go to John 15. If you're new to the Bible, just start at the front, start flipping pages until you get to red letters and you're close. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to look at, uh, Jesus made these statements where he said, I am, and then you saw it up on the screen, he'd leave these different, these different uh, descriptive words of who he was, but it was more than just saying, oh, I am this. He was actually using I am, the name that God revealed to Moses, saying, I am, like, I, I'm it. Everything and all-consuming, I, I am. And Jesus came to, uh, to reveal that, and so the listeners early on would have been like, oh yeah, he's doing it again. He's talking about who God is. He's speaking as if he's God, and they, they would find out after he rose from the dead that he definitely was who he said he was. So we're going to look at Jesus' final conversation that he has with the disciples right before he gets crucified. So the night before he gets crucified, it's like, he's like, fellas, I've been teaching you for three years. This is the most important stuff I want you to know. And it's, as any, any followers of Jesus here this morning, any people say disciples? Yeah, there's something in it for us as well. He's speaking to his disciples. He gives them a simple analogy, a simple picture, simple command. We're going to read through the, the whole portion of the text, just the eight verses, and then we'll go back and take a look at it. So John 15, verse 1. I'm the true grapevine, and my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he, he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. You, you've already been pruned. You've been purified by my message, the one I've given you. So remain in me, and I'll remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. You can't be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who doesn't remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches, they're gathered into a pile to be burned, but... If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want. It will be granted when you produce much fruit. You are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. 
You know, Jesus is using a simple picture for them. I don't know if you could picture it as we're reading it, you know, pictures of grapes. If not, we'll throw it up on the screen here so you can. Um, because, like, Jesus had talked to them about things they were familiar with. Well, you know, a few weeks ago, when we talked about the good shepherd and the sheep. They were very familiar with, sh- um, with shepherds and sheep, and, and they recognized that as a, as a picture of the nation of Israel. But the vine and the, and the grapes was also uh, something they were, that was very common to them. They saw them everywhere. Many of them would have owned them. Many of them would have worked in them. Any of you here have a vineyard? How about a vine? Just one or two grape vines? Okay, so we have a couple. Uh, but we're not like, you know, we're not vineyard country here. And so, but for them, they, it meant everything to them because it wasn't just that they saw the, the physical things around them. They, Jesus wasn't giving them an agriculture lesson. He's like, fellas, I'm about to be crucified. There's one thing you need to know is how to grow grapes. That's not what he's doing, right? He's, 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 He's drawing something out in them. And this, this illustration of the vineyard, um, they knew that uh, the nation of Israel, all through the Old Testament, was repeatedly referred to as God's vineyard. It was all about Israel. Psalm 80 is a great thing, uh, great, great reference of that you can take a look at later. And he's, he's bringing this out to them, speaking of the nation of Israel, but he's, he's spinning it, just like he had done with the Last Supper, and he's, he's spinning it just like he had with the shepherd and the sheep, and here he does it one more time. And as I'm reading this and preparing for it, I'm like, man, Jesus, this was not one of your neatest and tidiest points. It's kind of like all tangled together. Maybe as you heard me reading, you're like, oh yeah, he said that part. Oh, now he says it again. Oh, now he's going back to this, to this other part. And I was like, you know, it is kind of all twisted and intertwined together, just like a grapevine. It is kind of all twisted, but he clarifies some things, four things uh, as he goes through. Number one, he clarifies that he is the true vine. Why is he saying he's the true vine? Because they've, all they've known all their lives is as long as we're connected to Israel, we're good. Israel's God's grapevine. As long as we're Jewish, we're fine. And Jesus is like, not anymore. I'm the true vine, and it doesn't matter what people group you're connected to. It matters if you're connected to me. He said it to the crowd in John 8 earlier when they said, we're the children of Abraham. He's like, yeah, but you're trying to kill me. You're obviously not the children of God. He says, it doesn't matter if you're the children of Abraham. It matters if you're connected to me, if you're the children of God. And the same thing would be true today. And he's speaking to disciples. Remember this. He would say to the, to the, to the group, uh, the gathering of disciples, he would say, it doesn't matter if you're connected to a church. It doesn't matter if you're connected to the name Christian. None of that matters unless you're connected to me. The church can't save you. Religion can't save you. Even just jumping in the water and being baptized as a ritual cannot save you. But the true vine can. And he's drawing this down and saying, you need to be connected to me, really connected to me. And then the second thing he clarifies is that the Father is the gardener. Jesus and the Father being one are working together in this process. And he uses these terms about pruning and, and cleansing the branches so that they bear more fruit. He's saying, hey, as disciples that, you know, that bear some fruit, he's, he's, God's working in you to do that. And my hope this morning, my belief is that the true gardener is at work today in the hearts of his disciples. I believe that as we look at his word, he is going to do things in your life. That is my, that, that's my confidence because it's his word that does that. And that's what Jesus said to the disciples. You're already pruned and cleansed and being pruned and cleansed because of the word, the message I gave you. And then he also clarifies the true disciples. He's like, the true disciples are those who bear fruit because there was a whole bunch of disciples. We all know that Jesus, even in the original 12, had, some, had at least one disciple who wasn't a true one. If we do the odds today, one out of 12, I don't know, about 20 of you, huh? Might not be true disciples. That's where he's clarifying, saying, I want you to know 
that you, you can know that you know that you know whether you're a true disciple or not. And he says, and the ones that are not, the ones that don't bear fruit, they get cut off. I mean, these are like the people who are like, we're disciples, we're followers of Jesus. Like, yeah, I know. But he says, they're ones that get cut off. And you're like, but I thought if I just said a prayer like that Billy Graham, you know, like come into my heart and, and now I'm good for the rest of my life. No. He's like, if there's no fruit, you'll be cut off. Like, Man, that's a really important thing for us to be looking at. So this, this morning, maybe you're sitting here like, well, well how do I know? Like, how do I know if I have fruit? How, how, man, if I, I want to be one who's bearing fruit, how do I do it? The thing is that Jesus also clarifies the process of how to bear fruit that pleases and glorifies the Father. And so I want to focus on three things this morning. Um, and two of them we consider naturally, and one of them we have to consider intentionally because we don't truly consider it naturally. And so if you're taking notes, just write this down. Consider the fruit. Consider the fruit. So we look at this scripture. Jesus is he's bringing this out. And the first thing I think we need to do is consider the fruit in our lives. Do we have any fruit in our lives at all that glorifies God? A certain type of fruit. So think about it. He says the branches that, that don't bear fruit, they're the ones that get cut off from him. So he's like, there's an indicator. And, and, and Jesus, this wasn't the first time he talked about it. He talked about it other times. We find that in Matthew, and we'll, we'll take a look at that in a minute. But how many of you know that the fruit that you see on a, on a vine, it identifies what kind of vine or tree you're looking at? Let's just do a test. What kind of tree is this? apple. Some of you are like guessing. Maybe because you can't see, but that is definitely an apple tree. How do we know it's an apple tree? It's got apples on it, right? So there's, there's, that's simple. What about this one? Peach. Those are the tiniest watermelons I've ever seen for whoever guessed that. Peaches, you know, there's a, it's a peach tree. And then what about this one? The one my kids think I own. The money tree, right? That, that, we know the tree by its fruit. And, and so Jesus is like, you can, identify, you can identify people by their fruit. So you'll know when a person's a believer, a true disciple, by the fact that they have a certain kind of fruit. The second thing we realize is that a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit is what he says in Matthew 7. So you can tell the quality of the branch by the fruit that, that, that grows on it. We don't know those apples. You're like, man, they look good, but we don't know if they're good fruit or not. You know, I was like, I planted honey crisps, but I got honey mush. This morning I tried one. It was just disgusting. I don't know what happened. But that tree might, you know, until I taste the fruit, I don't know whether it's good, a good tree or not a good tree. And it's based on the quality of the, of the fruit. And so we begin to look and say, well, what kind of fruit do I have in my life? Think about your life. You know, Jesus said in, in Matthew 5, he says, let them see your good works. Let them see your good works and they'll glorify God. Let, let your light shine. You think, well, is my light shining? Is there good fruit in my life? Do I know? And I just want to say this this morning. Maybe you look at your life and like, I've got some fruit. I've got some good fruit. I've got some bad fruit. It actually doesn't matter what you think of the fruit. What matters is what the gardener thinks of the fruit. See, because we can, we can get ourselves into this mode of thinking we have good fruit in our life and we can have good fruit that he says is bad. Have you thought of that? Think about this. You're like, well, what do you mean? All throughout scripture, we have examples of people who thought they had good fruit, and God was like, nope, it's not what I'm looking for. All the way back to the garden, Cain and Abel, first brothers, first sibling rivalry, it ended very badly for one of them. Cain and Abel come to the Lord with sacrifices, and Cain's like, hey, look at this, I've got this sacrifice of fruit. And God's like, no, nope, not impressed. And then Abel comes and offers a sacrificial lamb that is, sheds blood representing the need for repentance and salvation and trust in a, in a, in a, 
um, in, in the lamb taking his sin. And uh, God's like, yeah, that's the one that pleases me. Cain gets so mad, he kills his brother later over it. We see Saul in the Old Testament, King Saul, uh, where he goes and he, he, the Lord says, go conquer this nation and then bring, the, you know, bring everything back and, and, and uh, wait for Samuel to come and then we'll offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord. And Saul goes out and he conquers the nation, brings everything back, and he begins, he begins waiting for Samuel. No, no Samuel. So he begins to do the sacrifice himself. And as soon as he starts, Murphy's Law, who shows up? Samuel. And Samuel's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm doing everything the Lord told me to do. Look at the fruit. I conquered all this nation. Look at the big sacrifice I'm making. And Samuel's like, yeah, here's what the Lord says. I don't want your sacrifice. I want your obedience. And he's like, I had all this good fruit. He's like, no, it's, it's not good fruit in my eyes. Let me see Jesus, you know, things that like Jesus would sit at the temple with the disciples and they'd sit there and they'd watch how much money people put in the offering. We don't do that here, but thank goodness. But Jesus did, and he'd watch like how much money they put in. The disciples were like, look at those guys. They're putting like bags of gold in. And Jesus was like, yeah, guys, you're missing something. You see that little lady in the back there? The one with, yeah, the tattered clothes? Yeah, she, she, she's the one who has the good fruit. And they're like, what do you mean? He's like, they all gave money out of their abundance, but she gave just two pennies. Two pennies was all she had. And he says, she's the one with the good fruit. And what do we learn We learn that those who do their good deeds to try and impress men only impress men. Those who do some good deeds to try, you know, and impress God, well, that doesn't really impress him. Those who do good deeds trying to make up for their bad deeds or trying to earn God's approval, like hopefully I do enough good ones to outweigh the bad ones, they can't earn his approval. You know, God told the nation of Israel back in Isaiah when they were trying to do some of these good deeds to try to appease, you know, God like like men did with, with, uh, with the idols in foreign nations. He says this strong language to them. He says in Isaiah 64, verse 6, he's like, your good deeds that you think are good deeds, they're like filthy rags to me. And we're like, filthy rags? Yeah, that sounds a little not good. But if you look up the description and definition of this, it's actually menstrual rags. And that turns a whole different tune to it. Like, wait a second, that's in the Bible? Yep. Jesus is like, man, your good deeds, like, I know you think they're good, but they're repulsive to me. And what does he say to the nation of Israel? He says, your lips, your lips speak of my, uh, of my name, but your heart's far from me. And so he begins to let them know, hey, the fruit has something to do with the heart. And we see Jesus doing the same thing. We get the Pharisees famous for being good. They're doing all this stuff. And he says, with your lips, you praise me, but your hearts are far from me. You guys are just like whitewashed tombs, he says. On the outside, you look all squeaky clean, but inside, man, you're full of dead man's bones, He says, the heart is what matters. And so when he says to his disciples that night, he says, the the, the disciples who bear fruit, he's referencing these things that they would understand that there's a good type of fruit that the Lord is looking for. And it's not up to us to decide whether that fruit is good or bad. It's up to him. So how do we know? Because he's given the disciples this command that they would bear fruit. And so we have to consider more than just the fruit. Most people, they look at just the fruit, but we need to consider more than that. And I would say we need to consider the branch, but we're going to call it this instead. We need to consider the cord. Why do I say that? Because Jesus was describing, you know, this branches and vines to a group of people really familiar with agriculture. They, they understood and we learned earlier, not many of you have grapevines. So I thought, you know, if Jesus were saying it today, how would he, can, how would he say it to a tech audience? Well, he would probably say it like this. This lamp, this is the goal. This is the fruit. This is what I want. This is what I want shining in your life. And you, 
you're the cord. I don't do a whole lot of these type of illustrations. We'll see if we do any more after this. But <laughs> you're the extension cord. And, uh, you know, a bunch of you, like, I don't see anybody who's, like, super excited about that. There was no, like, amen, you know? Some of you are like, could he not have at least got, like, a nice-looking extension cord? And we think about this. The cord, it's, it's not glamorous. But that's the point. That's the point. See, the branch's purpose is to bear fruit. It's their purpose is to bear fruit. If it doesn't bear fruit, it gets thrown away. The cord's purpose is to transfer power to that light. If it doesn't do that, it gets tossed away. Nobody in their house has like an old extension cord that doesn't work that they just, you know, like hang up above the mantle or put in the trophy case beside their fishing trophies. Brian, you have one of these in your trophy? No. Uh, Nobody does that. And I know some of you are like, yes, I've seen it before. I'm going to Instagram, redneck Instagram. I'll find you one. But normal people don't. <laughs> if you have one, take it down. Why, why we don't? Like these just end up in the garage. Most of them end up like in a t- tangled mess in the garage. Because why? It's just the extension cord. Why do I say that? Because we, we pay attention to the extension cord like we ought to. It's not that big of a deal. However... When we see ourselves in this analogy, we pay way too much attention to ourselves. We live in a culture that's all about the cord, as if it's something more than it is. All about me. It's like we have the worship of self. Like, oh, wow, look at that extension cord. That is some high-quality plastic. Oh, man, I bet you it's got three wires inside. It's got insulation. This thing is beautiful. That, that's how silly it looks in our culture where we have people who are self-focused, all about self-love. I need to take some time for some self-care. You know, they end up being self-centered and it's all about their self-esteem and don't you dare step on it. It doesn't even matter how they're born. It's how I self-identify and it's all about me and who, who I am and you need also to worship this self. The extension cord. You know, did, I don't know if you realize that self has become the greatest idol of our time. We have idolatry everywhere around us and we just don't see it because we're looking for like images and things like this. You know, it's more than money, more than success, more than fame. This is what we worship in our culture. And it seems ludicrous. And you're like, no, I don't believe that. Just take a look at the photos we used to take. Photos we used to take were of things of beauty, right? Look at the mountains and look at these things. I mean, we really could just sit here. It almost stirs up praise for him, for, the, for his gorgeous creation, but how do we take pictures now? Like this. Man, I got to be in it. Who cares about the red rocks in the background? Look at me. Look where I am. Look at me. Uh, and I don't know if you've even watched it on TikTok or videos where you see the person showing a video and they're going to explain the video, but they put themselves in the video on a green screen and they're all like all glitchy and they're like, man, I look awesome. Look at me. Look, look, worship my core. What is it? How many likes can I get? How much worship can I get from everybody else? What are others going to think? It's crazy. And when we have this idol in our lives, we actually try, we'll, we'll lie to make others think that we're better than we are. You know, the little nicks and, 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 and cuts in the cord, I'm hiding them behind the speaker here so you can't see them because just look at the great part. Look, aren't you impressed? You know, we want people to worship our best version of us and get our likes on social media. I don't know if you've heard this word recently, narcissist. Yeah, man, like we, we used to never hear that word. And then all of a sudden, it's like comes up everywhere. It, like spouse is fighting, guaranteed one of them's a narcissist. 
I hear it all the time. And I'm like, man, I'm thinking like this word is getting overused. But as I began to prep, I thought, you know what? A culture that just worships me, what kind of fruit should we expect? That everybody gets more and more about the cord, about the cord, about the cord. And a life that's focused on me really ends up in being empty. When we look in the mirror, me becomes empty. A branch that bears no fruit, a cord that transfers no power. There's nothing good in this cord in and of itself. Are you picking up on that? Like, I wanted a nice, encouraging sermon. You know, we see in our lives and we see this thing about the branches and we begin to look at the fruit and like, I don't know if there's good fruit in my life. There must be a problem with the core. And we begin to look at our lives like, okay, if I fix this, if I stop swearing a little bit, maybe the light will come on. No. Okay, I gotta, I gotta do some devotions. Click, 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 click. Maybe the light will come on. Oh man, I'm not sure if those are good deeds or not. I'm just gonna try and do something good. I'm gonna go help an old lady across the street and then ask for a tip. You know, and it's like, maybe, maybe the light will come on. Think about that. We, we do this thing of going back to the cord, back to the lamp, back to the lamp, back to the cord, over and over and over again. And it seems strange, but, but that's what happens in our culture. Think about the amount of psychology, psychiatry, affirmation, acceptance, and celebration is needed in our culture to try and prop up a whole bunch of empty cords. It's true. I love how Chris said this morning, it doesn't work. Why didn't I go to Dr. Jesus way, way earlier? And yet many, many people do this. And it's not just people, it's disciples that do this. We get caught in the trap of looking at the fruit, looking at the cord. And so, you know, nothing we can do when we check the fruit, try and untangle the cord. I would just simply say this. The point of this is consider the cord. You're not that important. You're not as important as you think you are. Paul even said it. Say, don't don't, uh, think of yourselves more highly than you ought to. And some of you are like, but doesn't Jesus at least love me? <laughs> exactly. When you see yourself through the eyes of Christ, you realize you are worth dying for. He loves you so much, he left heaven to hang on a cross for you. You are worth an incredible amount in his eyes. And never forget that. The problem is when we begin to think we're something in our eyes, and we miss the whole point. You know, Martin Luther said it this way, the most damnable and pernicious heresy that has ever plagued the mind of man is that somehow he can make himself good enough to deserve to live forever with an all-holy God. Whoa, Martin, chill. But so true. So true. If we gather together thinking we can make somehow make this acceptable, make this something, make this fruitful, Let me just say it this way as I finish this point. Even if we could, even if this cord could just somehow happen to make that glow a little bit, and we're like, I did some good works. I shone a little bit. All it leads to is pride and like, wow, look at how good I am. And when it's like, oh man, I try and I try. try. This addiction, I just can't stop it. I don't want to do it. I keep going back. I keep having this bad fruit in my life. You know, I stepped on the cat and called it an F word. You know, whatever it is. It's like, I just, why? Why does that keep coming out of my life? You end up depressed. And, and, and here's, here's the truth. We don't have it in us to do it on our own. We don't have it in us to do it on our own. So in this story, Jesus is like, hey, consider the fruit, whether you have any or not. Consider the cord. You're the branch. Consider what kind of branch you are. And then third, probably the most important, I want to spend the rest of the time here this morning, is this, consider the source. 
Consider the source. Consider the vine. Let me read John 15, verse 4 to you again, verse 4 to 8. What is, and just you can notice on the screen what's highlighted. Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. For a branch can't produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. The cord can't transfer power if it's not plugged in. He says, you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask for anything you want and it will be granted. And when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. It is all about he and not about me. It is all about he and not about me. What matters most in in life is the source you're connected to. Not the brand of cord, not the type of thing, not all the trappings. It's who are you connected to? To consider the source. That term, consider the source, actually comes from um, the idea of a person, uh, it's a term used for when somebody criticizes you and you have to look at and say, well, is that criticism real? And you look around like, well, they say, consider the source. Where did it come from? Who's saying these things? But it's great advice as well. I remember watching the show called Alone. Anybody? Debbie? Yeah, Alone. Yeah, we got some Alone fans. There was this one uh, episode where we watched this guy and he had lost his, uh, the, the rod to make fire. And so he's, he's out there and, and uh, he's thirsty as all get out and he's by this stream. He's like, man, I don't know if I can trust this water or not he says but I I gotta drink something so he begins filtering it through some seaweed he drinks the water next cut scene there he is puking his guts out right and so he goes upstream after that and finds there was a whole bunch of dead fish just a little ways up the the creek that he should have considered the source you know and I was reminded of this hilarious story my boys um, and some of your boys to be honest are part of this story they were out back behind the church one day and they were like we found this bubbling spring in the back and I was like, bubbling spring? And they, they had said they came home. They're like, yeah, we, we, this was pretty, pretty incredible. They're like, it, it's just like on a loan. We found, you know, we found a bubbling string of pure water. And one of my boys decided, I have to taste it. Got to make sure it's the real deal. And so he's drinking the water. He's like, yeah, it tastes great. And he's convincing the others nobody else does it. But he, he's telling me in the van on the way home, I'm like, bubbling spring. I'm like, did you guys know we have a bubbling spring in the backyard? No, I didn't either. And then I was like, wait a second. I remember when the volunteers who built this building, they ran a pipe from the bathroom or basement sink out to the back so they could just run it out of the back of the property. I wonder. Sure enough, every time somebody put water in the sink, bubbling spring out back. I'm like, man, I'm glad my kids have a better immune system than those on a loan, but they should have considered the source. I know. You'll remember that. Consider the source. And if you find a spring out back, don't drink from it. (laughs) But think about it. Could it be that the bad fruit or the lack of fruit in our life is simply that we haven't considered the source? Could it be that we focus too much on the fruit, too much on the cord, and we've not considered the source? Jesus said it pretty clearly. That's the point he made that you need to stay connected to me. And he's like saying that right before he leaves him. He's like, I'm leaving. Stay with me. Okay, Jesus, how do we do this? Luke chapter 6. If you want, you can spin there. Just keep your uh, hand in, in uh, John 15. But let me read a couple scriptures to you. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. Jesus says this. He says, a good tree can't produce bad fruit. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit. 
right? The branch, it matters. He says, a tree is identified by its fruit, which we learned earlier. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes. Grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. And here's where he drops the bomb. He's like, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. A good person produces good fruit from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And what you say flows from what's in your heart. It's a good heart that bears good fruit. And that determines whether the branch is good. It's a good, it's a good heart that determines whether the cord is good and produces power to power the light in the end. It's that good heart. And some of you are like, well, how do I know if I've got a good heart or not? And I'm glad you asked. How do we know if we have a heart that's good? What makes a heart good? Let me ask you this in this way. What makes an orange good? Think about it. It's not a trick question. If you were here last night, you can shout it out. What makes an orange good? The juice, right? What's in it? And it's not just the juice. It's after you taste the juice to find out whether it's good or not, right? An orange is good based on what's in it. There used to be uh, Booster Juice. Uh, somebody had sent me there. I never go there. It's too pricey. Uh, but Booster Juice had this thing that somebody asked me to go get this drink. I was like, okay, what is it? And they're like, it's uh, spinach is in it. I'm like, okay, but what's it called? No, they're like, it's called spinach is in it. I was like, okay. So go there, sure enough. And I ordered it. And I was like, so why do you get that? It's like, it's obvious that it's good because you know what's in it. What makes it good is what's in it. What makes a home good? Not necessarily how it's built, but who's in it. What makes a church good? Not what they sing and do, but who's in it. What makes a car good or driver good? Who's in it? What makes a heart good? Who's in it? Who's in it? And it matters when Jesus was saying, that's the promise he made to his disciples, John 14. Here's what he says, I'm leaving, here's what's going to happen. Verse 16, he says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. He guides you. The world can't receive him because it's not looking for him. It doesn't recognize him. But you know him. Why? Because he lives with you now and later will be in you. He'll be in you. Holy Spirit will be in you. Well, who's Holy Spirit? He says, this is where Jesus says, he says, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. What's the next word? I will come to you. Jesus was saying, stay connected to me, stay connected to me. And when I leave, I'm coming to you, but I'm coming in the title of Holy Spirit. It is my very spirit that will be in you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you'll see me. And since I live, you'll live. When I'm raised to life again, you're going to know that I'm in the Father. You are in me and I am in you. He said, I'm going to put my spirit in you. And that's how we stay connected to him continually. Paul would later write to the Corinthians. He's like, hey, guys, don't you know that your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit? You can't go live willy-nilly about how, you know, in all your different sins and, you know, sexual preferences and choices and all that. You can't, you can't go, don't you realize who's in you? Man, to the church today, do you realize who's in you? Not quite. Do you realize who's in you? As a Jesus follower, who's in you? To the Samaritan woman, he described the Holy Spirit as a fresh bubbling spring within you. What makes your heart good? Who's in it? And so Jesus says, stay connected to me. Stay connected, meaning we can become disconnected. Stay connected to the one who will guide you. I remember um, going cave tubing in Belize with our family and 
Um, as we were going into the caves, they had all these tubes and they would say at certain points, we need to tie all the tubes together because if you're not connected, you can end up in some dangerous spots. And sure enough, there's always that tough guy who's like disconnects as soon as it gets dark and they have to go rescue him. Like, don't be that guy, he says, you know, and and the thing is for us, it's the same thing. I see that in the church all the time where people who have gone as Jesus followers, they find themselves in incredible amounts of trouble. And I would say every time it comes to this, that they've disconnected from him. Not that they're not saved. They've disconnected. He says, you've got to remain connected to me or you don't bear fruit. And the thing I see so often is that they don't understand how to remain connected to him. And here's the truth. It's not that difficult. How do we remain connected to him? He says, if my word abides in you, if my word abides in you, if you abide in my word and my word remains in you, you know, I thought about how it could illustrate this. How many of you have breakfast smoothies in the morning? Yeah, something like that? Probably not. It's probably green and whatever, and, and spinach is in it, right? Uh, but the breakfast smoothie, people take that in the morning. They put all the avocado and all the good stuff I know I need that I don't want to have to eat. I can just drink it down, and I'm good to go for the day. But have you considered the breakfast smoothie for your soul? Do you consider the breakfast smoothie for your life in the morning. What does yours look like when you get up in the morning? What's the first thing that you do in the morning? Maybe it's like, God, check TikTok, see what's happening. God, check Instagram, you know, and see, see if I got any likes. Maybe you're old school, you're like, open the paper, check the horoscope before you get out of bed. Or you, know, or you read the news. Uh, or maybe you do nothing just because you're lazy. Or maybe you do everything because you're so busy. And, and maybe it's like, oh, don't have time, I'll just flip on some music, try and, you know, get some peace of mind on the way to work and, and listen to some country music or whatever. And then you get to work and that's kind of how you run your day. When instead, we should be offering ourselves that opportunity to realize every morning when I wake up, Lord, I need to be connected to you. Maybe I'll start with some thanksgiving, some adoration of your creation, some admiration of who you are, some praise from my lips to who you are, Lord. Man, you are holy. You're righteous. You're the way. You're the truth. You're the life. I need you. Holy Spirit, I just open my heart to you. And then sit for a few moments in silence. Lord, if there's something you need me to do today, just know I'm listening. And then dig into his word like, Lord, I want to hear your voice, but I'm going to give you opportunity to speak and just begin to read. Lord, I want to know you and stay connected to him. Staying connected is a choice. It's a choice. It's like Zach talked about last week. We've got to fill the lamps in the times that we have because you're going to need them when it gets dark. How many of you been filling your lamps every day this week? You know, I think a big part of it for us sometimes is we actually have to intentionally unplug intentionally unplug from things in order to plug into the source. And we don't always talk about fasting here. Actually, I don't think we ever talk about it, but maybe it's time for some to say, I'm going to take a fast from social media. I'm taking a fast from TikTok. I'm going to take a fast from busyness or from overtime or from Netflix or whatever. I'm going to intentionally unplug. I hear people say, man, I'm so busy. I don't have time to do that. I don't have time for, for this stuff with the Lord, but I think it's better stated in this way that I allow or choose to be busy and I choose not to have the time. I allow myself to become too busy and I choose not to have the time. And so we're not, what we're not saying this morning is, we're not saying, hey, you know what? You got to quit doing everything, move to a monastery, become a monk, find a Bible and be like, oh, you know, and, and hopefully something happens in your life. No, no, no. It's about being aware of him all the time. You work at a daycare, man, you need to be aware of him, right? Like, oh, you little, oh yeah, it's just a little sinner. I need to just pray over that little child, right? <laughs> Holy Spirit, help me, fill me with your love because I ain't got much right now, right? Uh, Or whatever it may be. 
You know, maybe you're working at a dairy bar, and you're like, those cows, man. Ah, man, Lord, give me some wisdom this morning. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship you and celebrate you for inventing cows. Milk's good. You know, I, sometimes they drive me crazy, but Lord, may, may I find ways to bring you praise. Why? What's happening in that? It's in that in all of our areas, we're considering the source. And what happens when we consider the source? As you follow past all of you, and you kind of get to the, to the end of you, you find yourself here. Conveniently, there was a plug here. You find yourself here at the source where you're like, Lord, yeah, if you weren't looking, I moved. Um, you find yourself here as you find the, the plug and you plug in and your eyes are just on him, you're just on what he's done for you and the relationship that you can have because of what he's done here. And Lord, I just want to know you like that song says, I might not be able to sing it well, but I'm going to sing it intentionally. God, I want to know you. I want you to be the source of everything in my life. And what happened as I was looking there? Fruit. Ta-da. Man, we think it's so hard sometimes. We're like, we're trying to do this, trying to do this, trying to do this. We're trying to fix this, trying to fix this, trying to fix this with all our religious stuff. And all he's saying is, would you just look at me? That's it. Paul says in Romans, he's the source of hope. You want hope, you're not going to find it anywhere else in there. You won't find a confidence. He's a source of comfort, Paul writes to the Corinthians. Where are you finding your comfort? Because if you don't find it there, you're going to search for other things and it'll end up in bad fruit. He's a source of revelation and truth. He's a source of eternal salvation. And it just takes some time to focus on the source, to focus on the glory of God, to realize he's worthy of adoration and admiration, of reverence and awe. It's why we slow down before worship to say, do you realize what we're about to do? It's God, the creator of all. Let's not just come in and be like, hmm, yeah, he's JC upstairs, my good buddy. No, he's not. No, he's not. He's God. Then to think of the power of God when scripture says in Romans 8 that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That's some serious power that I don't think any of us in the room, including myself, have really grasped. The same power Jesus being the same yesterday, today, and forever, that Paul said, you know what? It's not about us. It's that the power might be of him. We're just earthen vessels. We don't even look cool, but it doesn't matter because it's not about us. He must increase. I must decrease that he might shine through my life and draw all men to himself, that we might learn to hear the voice of God, that we would slow down. We see it in the book of Acts. I love it. You know, as Reese was just mentioning that, reading through the book of Acts, she sees how people hear and, and respond to the voice of God. But guess what else happened in that moment? She heard his voice. She heard his voice. She responded to his voice. It's the transformation that happens. It's what we talk about all the time, but here's the how. Think it's difficult? It's not. It's so, so simple. Don't miss it. And let me leave with this thought today. Have you considered the fruit in your life? Have you considered whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether there is any? That glorifies him. Have you considered the cord? Maybe you're like, yeah, maybe I need to, maybe I actually need to dedicate my life to him to, to recognize that, man, I, me on my own, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'll never be enough. I don't have it in me to be enough spiritually, morally, relationally, in my marriage. Nothing, I don't, I, I'm just a cord. Lord, would you flow through me? And then finally, have you um, considered the source of your life, who you're intentionally connected to? Is it Holy Spirit or is it something else? What's in your morning smoothie for your soul? Jesus always called people to come to me. 
Not religion, not church, not ritual. Come to me. And the New Testament authors would, would echo it and say, look to Jesus. He's the author. He's the finisher of your faith. The old hymn writers would sing these words. Maybe you'd sing them with me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth, they grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It remains the same today. You know, Jesus wasn't condemning his disciples when he said, when he shared this, but he wasn't joking either. A fruitless life is a useless life. Think, man, that sounds harsh. A fruitless life is a useless life in his kingdom. A fruitless disciple is a useless disciple in his kingdom. But I would say it's deeper than that. I think even if we just look at our own lives, a fruitless life is a useless life in our opinion. None of us want that. None of us find, you know, the joy in just going routines and rituals. No, we find it in seeing what he does through our lives. We were designed to bear fruit for our good, for his glory, and we were designed to bear that fruit by staying connected to him. So where are you at today? Where are you at today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for taking the time to share with your disciples. Thank you for giving them the the inspiration to write these things down that we might know them. Father, forgive us for the times we've drifted, the times we've found ourselves disconnected or just connected elsewhere in ways that just do not bear fruit that glorifies you. And Jesus, thank you for by your spirit, just drawing us back to life, life itself. Lord, I pray for those in this room today who the lights are just coming on and they realize their need for you. They haven't been living for you at all. But they know it now. They're aware of it and they feel you drawing them. But I pray just for courage for them to respond to you, to surrender to you, to repent of sin and leave it behind and to follow you. Lord, I thank you for what you do from that moment on. Thank you for the reminder to us as your disciples too, to remain connected to you. And may any fruit that comes in our life bring glory to you. May it be crowns that we lay gratefully at your feet one day when we meet you, that it would all be about who you are and what you've done and for your glory, for your praise, for your adoration. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. And thanks for not leaving us where we were. May we live today to your glory and we pray this in your name. Amen.